Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, LBCF. Good morning. There's a few people who have texted me who are at home recovering from some like surgeries and injuries. And so good morning to the millions of, my, <laughs> of our fans listening on YouTube. Um, smash that subscribe button. I think you have to say that, right? Isn't that a thing? Okay, go cool. smash that subscribe button. Um, good morning, LBCF. I'm going to take us to a few different passages today, and I'm going to ask um, that if you, I don't know if you grew up in church like I did, but there was something called sword drills. Sword drills, because this is the sword, and the sword drills were whoever could, could get to that passage first um, had candy thrown at them, or I'm not sure what happened in church when I was a kid. But today, I'm going to ask that... Um, I'm going to be calling out a few passages, and I would love the first person to get there to stand up and read it. Um, so, so there's, so you may not want to participate, I guess. But um, I want somebody uh, to actually let's all open up to Philippians chapter two. That is going to be our um, main text today. Is Philippians chapter two? Um, as I was preparing for this message, we are in a series called. Uh, living like Jesus. And part of our vision for 2023 was how do we actually put some flesh, put some actual practices, how do we live out these words which show up in our community, which show up on the freeways sign. It's It sounds nice and obviously our entire lives are meant to point us to how to live better like Jesus. But um, what do we mean when we say things in our community like adoption, like ambassador, like abundance. And so this is a series that we wanted to point out um, just the very ways in which Jesus lived. And so today we are talking about his humility, the humility of Jesus. Um, And I was walking around my neighborhood like I do to to try to prepare and get my mind right and try to think if I have any anecdotes dotes from my life of humility, and it was pretty quick that I was like, I didn't have one thing come to mind, but that the Lord paused me in my walk, and it became so obvious how I was thinking so much of myself, and so much was internal, and so much, and it was it was such an interesting sort of reminder that even when we're talking about humility, Um, even as I was preparing to teach about this topic, that my mind couldn't get off myself. That it's so, it takes so much work when we're actually talking about how to live like Christ or how to, how to be led into other places or how to be transformed. It reminded me of the scene in the uh, beautiful movie Ghost. Busters, where they're on, where he's like, clear your mind, don't think about anything, and then he thinks of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man because he can't get his he can't get things out of his mind. And for me, I'm like, that feels like my mind is constantly asking, how does this apply to Ryan? What does Ryan need? How does Ryan get something out of this? And it's just on loop over and over again that when I get quiet, it becomes even more apparent how much my mind is filled with how is this about me? 
what can I get out of this? And so I think it's really important that just as we reminded each other last week that one of the main things that we are trying to do in this series is pause that impulse that says, how can I package this so that I could leave here and make it more about me again? We have turned and we have treated church in so many ways and so many um, times like this. Uh, we, we want it packaged so that we can consume it. And I think that there's actually something that's really damaging when our faith is all about consuming. When it's all about taking it in so that it can become more about me. I think that we don't really get transformed that well. I think that we really get transformed when we do, like it talks about in the book of Colossians, where we are compelled by Christ. When we look deep at his life and we go, how did he live? How is that going to challenge me? What part of my life do I need to offer up to him? And so I want to uh, read Philippians chapter 2, um, just as our grounding text for today. I'm going to back up, and I'm going to read it a little more broadly in context of the Olympian church. This is being written by the Apostle Paul when he's in prison, and he loves the Olympian church. You can just tell as you read this text that he actually has a deep love and appreciation, and he says, I thank the Lord when I think about you, and and so, but he also knows that this is a church where there's a lot of conflict and things are kind of getting a little hairy because there's a lot of opposing views that exist in the same place and they're arguing a lot with each other. And so he, he is reminding them of Christ in his life. And it says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then <clears throat> excuse me, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfishness or, or uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. Jesus. And if you have a physical Bible or if it's on your app, you'll notice here that the next portion of text has an indent in, in it and a hint when you read the Bible and you see things that move in, that means that it's a quote, that they're quoting something here largely um, in, in a form where if it's quoting the Old Testament, um, you'll see an actual reference to that in most Bibles, but here they actually think that this was quoting a hymn that the early church used to sing, that this was a song that the early church would sing um, because it was something that they needed a, a reminder of, that they wanted to embed in, in the soul of their church early on, and it says, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's what we read earlier. It says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Now, I'm going to go back, and we're going to read something out of Proverbs. So if you have a Bible, I never hear pages flip anymore, and so it just makes this awkward silence when I say, if you have a Bible, turn with me. Um, but that's how I was taught, so that's what I'm going to keep doing. Proverbs 6, I want to read a very pointed warning, a very pointed warning, and I want to move from that pointed warning into looking back at Christ again. So really quick, Proverbs 6, there's very few lists in the Bible where it talks about what God hates. But when language is used that strongly, I think we should pay attention. Proverbs 6, there are six things. Oh, this is verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. The number one thing, haughty eyes. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers in the community. Number one, haughty eyes. What in the world are haughty eyes? There's certain things where I'm like, you talk about it in church, and you just kind of roll as though that's normal language. That is not normal language. You would never, I've never heard that talked about in any other place. I wanted to look it up. Haughty eyes. Eyes is the from the Hebrew enyaim, and it means eyes. And haughty came from the Hebrew word ramot, which actually means high or tall. It could be talking about a mountain. It could be talking about a person who is tall. It could be talking about way over there, up on that hill. Ramot, higher, upper. And the picture is, and there are some translations which actually say the things that the thing that God hates is a prideful look. A prideful look. And I was like, okay, well, we often talk about pride in the heart, right? We often talk about pride as being like a heart problem. And it seems like the biblical authors really wanted to point out that what happens and the things that God detests is when you say, I'm up here and whoever else it is, is down here. That when you start doing that and you start to place yourself elevated above other people, that you've done something that the Lord hates. And it's worth letting that sink in. It's worth pausing and saying, is there anybody who I consider to be down here? Because when, you've, when your heart, when your eyes look down on other people, there's a lot of destruction that follows that. There's a lot of pain that follows that. You will shape your life around the fact that you hold yourself as superior to someone else. And the beauty of the life and the person of Christ is that just in the very nature of Jesus Christ coming to be a human was the picture that the incarnation is God's symbol to us that he refused to do that even himself. God refused to be up here looking down here at us. And he said, no, instead, I'm going to make myself presence with them as one of them. But not only that, I am going to constantly be in this downward trajectory of service, sacrifice, even unto death. And I think about in the one moment where the, the one person who probably had the only right ever to have haughty eyes whatever that means, right? But that the one person who had the right to do that 
was Jesus. And the one time when he probably could have employed that sort of pride and, and come up with a justification for himself, he, he always chose to not defend himself. He chose instead when he's being crucified and he knows that they're in the wrong and he knows that they're ignorant. He says, Lord, forgive them. In the darkest moment when he could have called down for justice and anger and it would have been right and righteous and we would have cheered Jesus on because we would have said that's what should happen. Jesus chose to forgive. He chose even in his darkest moment to refuse that temptation that says, I'm going to place myself up here looking down at anyone else. The Lord hates haughty eyes. And remember, and we have to pause over and over again to remember, this is not something that I want to immediately, and you will have to kind of pause this temptation in yourself if the quickness that we have when we look at the life of Christ and we go, okay, how can I be less prideful? How can I treat people better? I don't think those are bad questions. Those are great questions. But sometimes I think that we rush so quickly into applying it to us that we forget to just meditate on looking at Jesus. Because the minute we take our eyes off of Christ and we turn them into, okay, now how do I apply this to me? The direction has changed. We are now reflecting on us. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm just saying let's pause that. Let's, let's, let's take a moment to reflect on what Christ did for us, what God did in Christ for us. And it means that living like Jesus... It means that humility is not this subjective, am, am, ambiguous pursuit. It means that um, it is found in the life and person of Christ. And there's a misconception that humility is just self-loathing. It's a misconception. Option that, that if you're humble, you'll push off compliments. No, 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 it's not me. No, it's uh, when, when people compliment you and, you and you kind of push that off, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about being humble. Dallas Willard has a quote when he said, humility is simply being realistic about yourself. Humility is simply being realistic about yourself. And the only way to do that without becoming more arrogant is in community. The only way to be realistic about yourself with your flaws as well is that you would invite people in to speak the hard truths to you. Do you have people in your life who can call out your stuff? I have plenty of those people in my life. Um, but I, as I was walking around my a neighborhood trying to think about, all right, what are some really good examples of, of this happening for me? Um, and again, I got paused and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm thinking a lot about myself. But all the things that came up was not being humble, it was being humiliated. I've been humbled a lot of times, 
mostly in sports that I'm bad at. And I'm, if you know anything about me, I'm very competitive. And when I am bad at something, I don't just go, oh, that's not my thing. I, I blame everything. Everyone's the worst. And I break tennis rackets like you wouldn't believe. But um, there's, there's this aspect of when I started to think about how has humility played out in my life, I was, it was so telling for me that in my own heart, I moved towards ways that I've been humiliated. And so often we tie being humble with being humiliated. So much so that I think sometimes we push it off because there's so much in our lives that seem like it drags us down that if humility is just one more thing anchoring us into having a low opinion of ourselves, we don't need more of that. We have plenty of reasons to have low opinions of ourselves. And if humility is just one more way to do that, that's, I think, one of the reasons that we push it off. However, the Bible paints a little different picture. Sword drill, Numbers 12.3. Whoever can, I'm, I'm pretending I'm hearing pages. People are just Googling the passage right now. I don't know what, what era of like church I think I'm in that people, yeah, please just flip pages of any sort just to make me more comfortable. Thank you, Jesse. Numbers 12.3. If you have it, just read it. Go for it. I always thought that was hilarious. Thank you, Gabby. Now, Moses was a, was, the mo, was a very humble man, the most humble on the face of the earth. Who is the author of Numbers? <laughs> Moses, okay? So when we think about, like, what's happening here, it's, uh, you have to pause and go, I don't know if you get to write that about yourself. <laughs> yeah. So... If Moses could say of himself that he was the most humble man, clearly it's not this low opinion of yourself. That's not, it clearly can't just be that. For Moses, and in the scripture, humility was a grateful dependence on God. How dependent on God are you? Moses could say, I'm the most humble man because I depend on God the most. I need him the most. I fail the most. I struggle the most. I'm having a tough time here. I am a humble man, not because I have this really small opinion of myself. I once heard the phrase, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. And I sort of agree with that. <laughs> but the, the, the kind of genesis of that thought is that humility is not about comparison. If what you do is you're constantly comparing yourself to other people so that you feel okay in yourself, you're already, your eyes are in the wrong place as a start. Moses, writing of himself, was the most humble man. Now, sword drill, Revelation 5, 5. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. Alexa, what does Revelation 5, 5 say? Okay. Who has it? Revelation 5.5. 5. Reading on to 6. Yeah. 
switch. You look and you're expecting to see a lion on the throne, but what do we see? The lamb crucified on the throne. The lamb of God, the humble the humble reality is not something that just is replaced later as though it was an unfortunate placeholder for getting the power that we ultimately wanted. Somewhere in this picture of eternity, the lamb is still crucified on the throne. And there's, there's power in that as well. It's not that this is just an aspect of, of oh, it is... Um, there's, there's something upside down about understanding and coming to grips with the fact that the kingdom, that there, in the kingdom economy, humility is not an unfortunate temporary placeholder. That there's, that, that there's something that humility is an aspect. Humility is a feature of the good life. Humility is a feature of the good life. So that's why we need community. That's where we see it in Jesus as well. In Matthew 26, it says, and he went a little further and fell on his face to the ground. And he prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me yet, not as I will, but as you will. This is not the first time that Jesus has differentiated the fact that God's will and his will are not the same thing. That's very strange for us to come to terms with because Jesus is God as man. And so when we look at that, it's hard for us to make sense of it. But even as he led people into how to pray, what did he say? My father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. He understood, and he was very open about the need to be led. Humility is a feature that you will need to cultivate in your life to be led anywhere. And as Christian people, as people who are followers of God, we cannot follow if we think we've already arrived. Not my will, but yours. Revelation 5, 5, we turn our head and we look for the lion and we see that the lamb, the humble, the, the, the humble picture of Jesus Christ whose life was laid down as a ransom for many is seated on the throne. Christ transforms humility. Humility was not a positive feature in first century. It is not a positive feature for many in the 20th century. What century are we in right now? 21st. Okay, thank you. I don't know a whole lot of things, okay? <laughs> Numbers are hard. But in the 21st century, it doesn't take much searching to see how high opinion people have of themselves. We have a whole social media that everybody has a platform to make sure that everybody knows how right and good and great they are. And so, in first century, Palestine, Galilee, humility was seen as a negative feature because it was weak. And Christ comes and says, I am choosing not to th even think about my equality with 
God because the minute that happens, you get haughty eyes. I'm up here. They're down here. And whether that is your politics, whether that is your theology, whether that is your morality, whether that is what you've experienced in your life, if any part of you sets you up here and other people down there, Proverbs 6 says pretty plainly, God hates that. Regardless of whether or not you are right, because, hint, Jesus was right about everything. And he was misunderstood by everyone, including those closest to him, to the point of abandonment, to the point of death. Christ transforms that part of our heart, which still says, okay, I'll be humble as long as it will eventually get me to the power that I ultimately want. Because honestly, that transactional sort of process is what I came to faith in. Was, okay, I need to find out all of these scriptural hacks to get ultimately what I want anyways. Whether that is power or influence or money, whatever it is, the Bible can be sort of reworked to find, okay, what's the hack to get what I want? And ultimately what I did not want was to let that part of my heart be transformed. And I think we need to take a moment again and say, how can I look at Christ? How can I be so appreciative that in all of his, um, in all of the ways that it would have been justified for him to stay distance from us? The more that you read the Old Testament, as I was talking with Andrew as we were kind of preparing for this Bible study. We were just laughing at how the constant story of humanity is God going again with us. Because we just, we have this relentless pursuit to get it wrong. God goes again. He lifts us up again. And he, eventually he just goes, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to come be with you. It's like watching your kids do chores. At some point, I get so annoyed with how long it's taking that I just want to shove them out of the way and do it myself. It's like, I imagine there's a little bit of that impulse of like, okay, I'm just going to go be with you so you can see how to do it. So that you can see that in all of my righteousness and all of my holiness and all of the ways that I would have been justified to judge and hate and push off, I refuse that. Humility is being realistic about yourself, so place yourself in community. Get people around you that can speak the hard truths to you, but also keep your eyes focused on God and don't be ashamed of how much you need him. Be open, be vocal about how much you need God. That is a beautiful feature of the good life. anybody had the right to have haughty eyes, it was Jesus. But the presence he provided everyone was that he would walk eye to eye. So each week I want to ask some questions or just kind of pose some questions out there because one of the unfortunate realities, especially within church spaces, is that we come and we hope to, we come with a question hoping to have an answer. I would really hope that we would be a kind of people that would, might come with answers and leave with questions. And maybe some questions came up for you that you can take home, but I would encourage you 
leave here asking better questions. Some questions that came up for me were, do I have hidden judgments or resentments that I need to repent of and seek forgiveness about? Now, the trick to that question is that those are hidden judgments that you need to seek forgiveness about. That means apologizing to a person who doesn't even know you've done something wrong. It means seeking forgiveness from a person who you've just held something in your heart against that person. That is a very awkward conversation that I've had with people in my life. was like, hey, you don't even know this existed in me, but I've been jealous of you, bitter towards you, and I just need you to forgive me because I have held something against you. It's super awkward, and it's so necessary for us as people to to treat our hearts in that way, to allow our hearts to be transformed, even from the things that people don't see. Who in my life can help ask the hard questions to keep me realistic about myself? Where is cruciform humility calling me out of self-reliance or self-loathing? And so that question, the trick to that one is that maybe humility for you has looked more like being humiliated. And you've just been beating yourself down and you feel like the world has sort of kept you small and it's made you hate yourself and there's a lot of that happening. Maybe humility as it is transformed into a reliance on God will draw you up out of that. It'll free you from the burden of that because one of the other places where it talks about Christ's humility, it's in a passage where it says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm gentle and lowly of heart. I am humble. That his yoke is easy. And if this feels like a heavy yoke to you, maybe the humility that we are meant to reflect on is going to call you up out of that self-loathing place. And the last question, and I want to preface this question because I reached out to Mary and Danny because this felt like a good question to ask, but I could see how this last question could be taken and used in really harmful ways. And so I want to make sure that I pause this. Am I willing to be misunderstood? Now, what I don't mean here is am I willing to... um, to choose to keep people at a a distance because they just don't understand me. It's not what I'm talking about here. It's also not encouraging that we just kind of throw our hands up in the air and go, well, I can't understand that person. They can't understand me, so we'll just never, we just won't work it out. That's not what I'm encouraging here. What I'm encouraging here is that there will be aspects about you that even as you you try your best to stand with conscience and to stand in your character that there will be people who will misrepresent you, not understand you. Maybe the flip here is how much am I trying to understand others? Because I still think that is a beautiful pursuit is turn your, your need to be understood around and say, how can I better understand others? Because I'll tell you what, that is a hard question for me because there are a lot of aspects in my life, in my history, where I feel misunderstood. And I have this fire that rises in me that says, I need people to understand me. I need, 
I need somebody to see my perspective in this. I need to be respected. I need all of these things. And it becomes this Ryan show in my head where I am the center of this whole thing. And it becomes about me. And again, I've just entered into that damaging sort of circus that exists in my brain when I am the one that is doing all of this hoping and white knuckle gripping. And that is not a light burden. That is a heavy yoke. When I think about myself, I am burdened and I am and I am depressed and I am struggling. And I think that Christ is saying, you can free yourself from all of that. You can free yourself and just know you will be misunderstood, but are you willing to sit in that without having to constantly fight and press? Can your humility and your dependence on God hold you firm? I want to be that kind of person. And here's the truth. I'm not yet. I'm trying so hard, but I, I have heard that there are two things you don't actually ever have to pray for, humility and patience. Because they will, those opportunities exist in front of you at all times. So if you're praying for that, it just means you're not seeing the open door opportunities to be humble and patient now. And I, I know that if all I'm trying to do is say like, okay, I'll be humble, but in my heart I still hold this, I'm up here, others are here. That's the part that needs to be sacrificed. That's the part that needs to be put to death all the time. Anything that sets me up here and others over here. And I would encourage us, and I would love to be a part of a community, but first I would love to have that just in myself, not as, because I think that is a feature of the kingdom. That's a feature of eternity. That is a feature of the good, full life that we are meant to live. So I also have sent everyone away with some uh, reading that if you don't have a Bible reading plan, um, just looking at the person and at the story of Christ each week, I would encourage you to read Matthew chapter 5. Look at what Jesus launches his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount. Just reflect on it. Be appreciative of it. Don't pause. Don't try to, like, don't try to analyze any of it. Just absorb it and see how beautiful it is, how poetic. And, and look at the context of, of that he was with a bunch of people where if they had successful careers, they wouldn't have had time to sit around and hear him teach. These are people who didn't have, who weren't enough, who were struggling, who were lowly. And he sits and he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they'll inherit all of this. So I would encourage you, read Matthew chapter 5 this upcoming week. I'm going to close this in prayer, um, but while I do that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and those who are serving communion. We take communion in this community um, every week. And if you are um, new here, we also do bitter herbs, um, and you'll hear them say this is the bitterness of sin and and death, and that is um, something that we believe is an important reflective point as you come to the table to receive the body and uh, blood of Christ. And so um, if that's new to you and you'd rather have a chat with someone about 
that feels strange to me and I've never done that, I would love to talk afterwards because I also don't want you to just do stuff, just to do stuff in this community. We want the ways in which we participate to be thoughtful and intentional. And so um, you can come up whenever you would like as we close out uh, with communion. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for how constantly you refuse to look down on us and how constantly you position yourself as a person that says the greatest will be servant. And you came to actually embody that by by coming as a human, as a servant in Christ to look us eye to eye and to remind us of that beautiful truth that you are with us always and not with us somewhere far off or somewhere where we can't attain, but that you came to say that I'm, I'm right there. I'm with you. I suffered too. Lord, help us to be humble like that. Help us to, to offer up any part of our hearts that would see others as less, that would magnify ourselves. Lord, would we make your name great and would we lean into our humility knowing that it is a dependence on you and we are grateful and we are okay saying, Lord, we need you. We need you now. And Lord, in communities that are hurting from from pain and shootings and police brutality, Lord, would you show up? Lord, would you show us how to be people of compassion and love? Show us how to speak. Show us how to stay silent when we have nothing good to say. Lord, would you show us how to be your people amongst so much brokenness? Thank you for your son. Help us to reflect on him, to have our eyes focused on him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.